Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 129. If you like Five Tribes, try these other games. We'd like to thank Board Gaming for giving us the perfect excuse to stay inside and stay cool. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Hey, Anthony. Welcome to a new episode, our episode 129. We are talking about, if you like Five Tribes, try these other games. Sweet. I like Five Tribes. You do? Big fan, huh? Yeah. Actually, I do like it a lot, actually. And I avoided it for a very long time because I'm pretty sure you told me that it was too much AP. And there is, but I, I still like it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Five Tribes also had that little early on controversy with their slave cards, yeah. which they did fix, which bravo, because they did a great job, Days of Wonder, correcting that problem. So now you can pick up the game with the Fazirs, I believe. And no problem. And if you do have the original game, you can pick up that little kind of replacement pack on Board Game Geek. So that's excellent. Yeah, the game does have a lot of AP, but does have a lot of fun and does have an excellent Makala mechanic, which we'll get to later in our feature review. But how's been gaming going for you these days, Anthony? Anything new or interesting? Pretty good. Pretty good. I was on vacation last week, so not a ton of gaming other than the uh, repeated, repeated games of Uno with my son. Repeated, repeated <laughs> games of Uno with my son. Mario Uno, I should ah, say. Mario Uno, nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's been fun. Um, it is fun, actually, but it, it's Uno. So, you know. It's Uno. Did get a chance to play, well, one of the games we're going to be talking about later, um, the Quest for El Dorado. I um, nice. got a chance to play that a few times this week. And was going to play the new maps of Terraforming Mars last night, but the person who had pre-ordered it and had them forgot them didn't get a chance but we were all waiting for it like looking forward to it for like two three hours finished the godfather ready to go and he finally realized he didn't have it so it was a little disappointing at the end there but um that'll be coming up hopefully next week when i go back out yeah i got recruited to play a game of Catan, which when the person recruited me to play it was like how disappointed are you going to be for playing Catan?" and i'm like (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'll play it. Yeah, it's fine. It's Catan. You know, it's good people at the table. It's fine. It's been, I don't know, decades. I know the game hasn't been out that long, but it feels like decades since I played Catan. And I showed up and they had Cthulhu Wars out on the table at my friend Jay's house. And I was like, oh, well, this is definitely not Catan unless there's Cthulhu (laughs) Catan, which I don't know. Do you trade madness for sheep? Is that how that works? (laughs) <laughs> or is there a Cthulhu sheep at the end of the game? I'm not too sure, but I got to play that, which will be coming up on a later review in the upcoming week. So I'll talk more about that then. But uh, you never know what's going to happen at the table or at your game group. So uh, keep an eye out and uh, stay away from the Cthulhu looking sheep. That's my uh, recommendation there. So it's a good recommendation. It's a good I, recommendation. I, I think it's if you want to keep your sanity, I would highly recommend doing that. <laughs> 
So that's what's going on with our tables. Uh, Anthony, what's going around with our other listeners? What's the uh, question of the week and what are they talking about? Okay, so I asked everybody what mechanic is best for a first-time player of hobby board games. You know, we hear a lot about gateway games, but what's a good gateway mechanic? So I got a lot of good answers here. Willie said, press your luck. There is no intro mechanic that will get someone excited quite like a push your luck. Usually the decisions are simple, stop or continue, so the decision tree is manageable for new players. Games like Zombie Dice are the bare minimum of Press Your Luck, with most of the decisions really being made by simple math. Games like Ink and Gold will expand on this concept and create a whole meta specific to the group that is playing. Adam always leaves at 6, so I can expect him to be leaving this turn. Mike wants to be into the end, so it might be safer to jump out with the Relic now. Nice. So, nice, really well thought out answers here. Uh, Matt said, Drafting Mechanic. Sushi Go in particular. Not the party version unless using just the original game set of cards, apparently. Seems to always be the gateway game that he goes to for newbies. It's simple, even if they don't see the strategy at first. It's not hard to choose a card at random and then see how the scoring after the first round is affected. And it opens up their minds to the possibilities of modern gaming. So I actually got a lot of responses, so we can't go through all of them. But, you know, some of the other ones, set collection. I had two or three people say set collection, specifically mentioning Ticket to Ride or even older games that people have played in their youth, like Rummy. Things that people would know, even if they're not gamers. Set collection here. Sherry as well mentioned set collection with Potion Explosion also mentioned in there. Seven Wonders. And then Kurt mentioned point and action point selection just because you have kind of a predefined set of things that they can do. And you just give them that list and they know what to work with. So it's a pretty interesting list here, especially because, you know, it's not just what game should they play. We all know what the gateway games are. But what mechanics should you look at, which I think is actually a good way to look at it if a certain gateway game isn't clicking with people. Yeah, I think that's a, a great thing to look at because some of the mechanics, while they're very simple to us, can be very complicated and overwhelming to new gamers. Set collection makes a lot of sense because you just have to collect X number of this, like Rummy, when I was a kid, you know, four of a kind, three of a kind, or you collect a straight. So that's great. I also like playing press your luck games with new gamers because typically all the information is out. And I think that's pretty much what you want to do with a gateway game, have a game where there's no hidden information. This way you can kind of guide them through the process, but press your luck is always fun because you can see like the wheels move in their head. Like how far should I keep going on this? And when it blows up on their face, it's, it's kind of funny for the whole table. We all laugh at that. So, because you know, you can never predict that. And that's a nice kind of situation because it's, it's typically luck based. Yeah, yeah, and I would throw in co-op too. Nobody mentioned it here, but anything co-op, and I just thinking like getting my kids into gaming, co-ops are great because they're not competitive, so if somebody who's not used to going head-to-head, there's no combat or fighting, then you're working together. So if they're, if they're not sure what to do, it's all open information, and you can kind of help them out a little bit. So I, I definitely think that's a good way to go too. Yeah, I think one of the newest games beyond, I guess, Century Spice Road would probably have to be Fabled Fruit, which is a set collection game that kind of changes up every once in a while. And I, I heard recently that they announced they're going to do a fabled fruit version of power grid. So uh. that might help get your family more into power grid or maybe Jack, you know, a little bit. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yep. All right. Get all so, these maps and play. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. All right. So that's, what's been talked about at our Facebook page. And if you'd like to jump in on that conversation, those questions are posted every day on Facebook and Twitter. 
So jump in, join the conversation, let us know what you're thinking, and as always, please let us know what your favorite games are. We're always looking to kind of explore new games and talk about them on the podcast. So that's what's going on there. Let's get on to our acquisition disorders. Anthony, what are you looking to get to the table at a future meetup? All right. So in news that should surprise absolutely no one, uh, (laughs) Blue Orange has announced a sequel to King Domino titled, you guessed it, Queen Domino. Um, See, I I thought that that was a prank when I first saw that on Board Game Geek. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, that's great. Somebody mocked up a, you know, Queen Domino version of that or something. I'm like, and I kept reading the article. I'm like, this is going to be, there's going to be some kind of like joke or kind of thing here. But it wasn't. It's actually a game, huh? It is real. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it makes perfect sense. It doesn't quite flow off the tongue the same way King Domino does. But to be fair, King Domino is a horrible name for a game. It is. Um, it overcame that. It won the Spiel des Yar. So who am I to say? But Queen Domino, it is, it's independent from King Domino. So it's not necessarily a sequel. Um, but you can play it in connection with the two. So if you play it together, you can play seven by seven grids for four players. Uh, which you cannot do. Currently, you can only play 7x7 seven seven with two players. So, And then it'll allow you to play up to six players, so it expands King Domino from four up to six with 5x5s. Five five. So even that is just kind of cool. You can get more people to the table. The 7x7 seven seven is a lot more fun anyways because you can get a lot more stuff out. You can only do it with two people right now. And then also some of the new stuff that they're talking about mixing in. There's a dragon. There's some new buildings. There's a couple more strategies. It sounds like it's like maybe half a tick higher on the weight scale. So that would be nice because I like King Domino, but it is a really, really light game. So it's it's a good filler, but it's not really like a go to game for like my game groups, um, even though people generally like it. Uh, it's kind of that, oh, we have 15 minutes to kill or, oh, this is someone who's never gamed before and they're going to leave after this. That's what it ends up coming out for. So, sure. you know, make it a little bit tougher. That'd be cool. I wonder if this will have, I don't know, if the legs to kind of go as far as King Domino. I mean, will we see this as a another Spiel des Jahres nominee next year? I, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's just, I think people are going to see it as, you know, like the standalone expansion type of thing, you know, sure. like, like a lot of the games have, like Dominion had plenty of standalone expansions. None of those really won awards, even though they were really good and made the game better. They're part of the same ecosystem. So that's kind of how I see it. But we'll see. We'll see how it does. Okay. Well, Anthony already spoiled my acquisition disorder, which anybody who has Terraforming Mars, I know many of you do, is looking forward to their new expansion maps, Terraforming Mars Hellas and Elysium. Now, this is taking the same Terraforming Mars game, but putting two brand new maps. So nothing radically different here, just different spots on the board. So you know the original map. I like the original map, but what I always felt playing the game was there is always a best first, second, third spot to go where you're building around your cities. And if you didn't get that first or second one, you were kind of stuck. Not that you couldn't win the game, but there was always best spots. So this game definitely needed new maps, and I was glad to see that. Although I would have liked to see new player boards and blah, blah, blah. But you already heard that before, so let's not talk about that. Let's talk about the new maps. So what's interesting here is the maps are going to give you a little bit of a different gameplay as far as where you place things on the board. Because in this case, for Elysium, for example... This is the opposite side of the Mars equator, and it has vast lowlands for oceans in the north and a dry, mineral-rich 
area in the south. So if you like building that strategy, that's going to be great for you. And there's going to be the highest peak that's going to be able to give you new cards. So yeah, it kind of mixes things up a little bit. And then the Hellas, the southern area of the board, is going to give you a crater area that's going to be the southern pole, which if you can kind of, I guess, melt it, <laughs> you'll be able to have you know, spots for your water. So if you remember the game, basically, there's going to be spots specifically for water, spots specifically for city, and based upon where you build those cities, going to be bonuses. So not just is that Mars map different, but there's different milestones on each of these maps, and there's different awards on each of these maps. So it should shuffle up the gameplay just enough to get this game back out to the table. So I'm really excited for this because... My table really needs Terraforming Mars again, and with these maps, I think it'll actually get there again. Awesome. Yeah, did you see the? Uh, they already announced the second expansion, too? Yes, was that the... Venus. Yes. I think I sent that to you. I was like, wow, it looks really cool. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You sent it over. So don't we don't know very much about it yet. It'll come out like the end of the year, but it's you're building flying cities and terraforming Venus's atmosphere. Which we were joking about it last night. Why would you call Venus next? I'll just call it terraforming Venus. But <laughs> what people are going to be confused and not think it's the same thing. Like, Sorry. no, look at that ugly artwork. It's clearly from terraforming Mars. <laughs> <laughs> that's their brand, man. <laughs> yeah. Look at this awful box. Yep. That's that stronghold. That's that's terraforming Mars. <laughs> it's it's only in this wondrous game community that there's so much love for something that's just so damn ugly. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Special right. edition, come on! Can we do that now? Can we back? Can we? Can we? Can we ask for a Kickstarter? So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's everything from our acquisition disorder. Now on to the games that are hitting our table. Anthony, what was hitting your table this week? Other than Uno, of course. Oh. Uno. Was no. it Uno? This is my review of Uno. <laughs> <laughs> and hope everybody there... loves Uno. <laughs> how much? How long should I let that hang before? Like, let's see if how many listeners we lose in the first 10 minutes of the podcast. Um, <laughs> they never no, the, the game. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like next week's next week's listeners. None. Oh no, no. I got a chance to play uh, the quest for El Dorado. So this is the new deck building racing game from Reiner Knizia. Uh, it's being published by Robsberger. It was nominated for the Spiel des Jahres and did not win because King Domino won as we just spoke about. Um, but it was, you know, people thought it had a legitimate chance because it is a, a decent quality, kind of that light entry mid-level game that has that feel to it. So the game is you are setting out different tiles. There are, I think, eight or nine in the box. And then these big kind of octagonal tiles with different pexes on them that you will lay out in a course. And so the first time you play, it tells you this is the beginner course, but then there's also multiple other ways you can do it. And you can make your own based on some recommendations it has and the goal is to get your little meeple guy from the beginning to the end the end being the city of el dorado to get there however you have to play cards and so you start the game with eight cards you're going to draw four every round and then play them and these cards have one of three things on them they either have machetes to move through jungle they have uh, oars to move through water or they have money and the money lets you move through villages or lets you buy new cards to add to your deck and these new cards can have some of those things at higher quality or can have special abilities. So there's some cards that let you move through certain terrain for free or buy other cards for free or upgrade quickly. Or there's a couple of like wild cards that 
let you do anything, any of those three things, depending on what you need at that time. And so what you're doing is you're playing four cards every turn, you're shuffling through, it's a basic deck builder, and you're trying to build up a decent quality enough deck to move through the jungle at a decent speed. But there's like this interesting balance in the middle, because if you spend too much time early in the game buying cards, then you will fall behind. But if you don't buy enough cards, then when you get to the later tiles, which are harder to get through, you get stuck. So that's what happened to me the last time I played it. I got stuck in the middle tile for four turns because I kept not pulling the one type of terrain I needed to move through because I had not purchased more ore cards. And everybody else had, so they moved through that water and they didn't have any problems. The basic flow of the game is very, very simple. It doesn't take very long to teach. Uh, it is, It has a few interesting things in the box to make it a little more interesting if you want. There's some mountain tiles that you don't play with normally, but you can put on the board. And if you move through that space, you get this bonus that you can use later. Um, there are barrier tiles that are used as the tiebreaker. So if you're the first person to move from one tile to the other, you have to pay a little bit extra to do that. But then you get this barrier tile, which at the end of the game is a tiebreaker, which you wouldn't think is a huge deal. But every single game I've played of this, everybody was within one turn of the end when the game ended. So there's been two tie breaks and then several games where one person beat everybody by one round. So they do matter a lot. Um, the game is very tightly balanced, it seems. So people generally get to the end of the race around the same time. The catch-up works pretty good because it does get harder to move towards the end. So if you're stuck in the middle and then all of a sudden you get through, you're going to be able to move a lot really quickly because you have all these great cards now that you've been building up, whereas the people are still stuck at the end trying to get the cards they need. So I really, really like it. It's really cool. It, it takes the really basic deck building element here and it turns it into, you know, it's not complicated. It's not not even really Dominion level of deck building because there's no victory points. You're not trying to you know, build a deck that does anything other than move you more quickly through this uh, jungle. There are some ways to burn cards out of your deck too. So you can carefully move into those spaces to get rid of those cards. And if you move into those spaces too early in the, in the game, it's bad because you have fewer cards, but later in the game it helps because you get rid of the less quality cards. I had a lot of fun with it. It only takes, you know, 45 minutes to an hour to play. If everybody knows what they're doing, it's even quicker. Each turn you'd get to do multiple things, lots of interesting actions. And, you know, some things can chain together because you have certain cards that you draw extra and then, you know, get these extra movements in. So it's satisfying. Even when you do get stuck, and that can be very frustrating, uh, you are eventually going to break through. And it is an interesting journey through this jungle. And then, you know, you combine the different layouts and then each of those tiles is double sided. So there's dozens of different layouts that you could have, plus the mountain tiles that are thrown in, plus the barrier tiles, which are randomized. And there's a lot of replayability here. So I'm really impressed. Um, I'm glad Robinsberger is bringing this. I don't know if they're going to have it at Gen Con or not. I think it's scheduled for a September release, but they might have it at Gen Con, they said. So it, it's definitely one to check out. I think it's a good light, medium weight game, kind of in that Isle of Sky level, you know, for that less than one hour filler type of, not filler, but, you know, not a big epic Euro, but something more accessible for everybody. And that's kind of where Isle of Skies fit in my bag for the last year or so or istanbul games like that um, i think it fits with that and you know it's, it's been really enjoyable so definitely a buy you should definitely check it out when it comes out so i guess it really deserved this nomination for the, in the spiel of Shars category yeah no i mean having played this now and i hadn't played it before the spiel was announced i i would think this game probably is 
better than King Domino and should have won. Wow. King Domino is great, but it's just so light. It's, it's so light. light. Yeah. There's just not much to it. Um, this has more to it and it has tiered depth. Like you play the basic game. It's fun. It's interesting. There's decisions to be made. You can add stuff to that. You can adjust it. You can customize it. And you can make it not necessarily complicated, but a little more complicated. And there could easily be more content added to this game if they decided they wanted to. Uh, I don't know if they will, but it easily could be. It's great. I think it's definitely one worth checking out. Uh, and it's it's something that I think when it does hit, people will probably have a similar response of, oh, this, this should have won. This would have been good. So, again, not that I have a problem with King Domino winning the spiel. Just having played this now, I can see how it probably could have and would have given a run for its money if it wasn't you know, this year of all years. This week, I had a chance to get in the year of the dragon, the 10th anniversary edition from Stefan Feltz table. Now this is a classic way back from 2007 that I actually thought I would never be able to see again. But with this reprint from Aaliyah and Ravensburger, I was actually able to get this game to the table. Now what's extraordinary about this game is not only does it come with the base game, but it comes with two expansions that you can play either separately or together with the game. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Now, if you haven't played in the Year of the Dragon by Stefan Feld, uh, you're probably missing out here. Now, since this game has been out of print, this is probably the first time in quite some time that you've heard this game being spoken about. But it's one of Stefan Feld's kind of sleeper hits. Now, with this game and the challenge of this game is it's a very tight game. Now, you are trying to help the kingdom here in China survive a year. Now, there are some generally good events, especially in the beginning, where you're kind of building up for the later events. Now, this game plays in 12 rounds, and each month there'll be a different event that'll occur, and each of those months is going to require certain resources from you. So at the start of the game, you're going to be able to select... A different action to take. Now these actions are going to allow you to do a number of different things in the game. So you could do things such as get rice to prepare for the later harvest. You can get fireworks for the later displays. You can build up your military to fight off the Mongolian invasions. You can build research that's going to be able to help you. Now by picking these actions, what it's going to allow you to do is activate if you have the matching worker in your palace so part of this game is action selection and the other part is tableau building the tableau building part is going to allow you to build bigger and bigger palaces in order to hold these different workers now at the start of the game you're going to select two workers and those workers are going to be the young workers but as the game goes on you can choose between the young and the old workers the old workers are better and more proficient at producing resources but the younger workers, since I guess they're younger, will get you further down the first player track. And that's going to be very important because selecting those actions is going to be based upon where you are in that track. Now, once you select that action and you activate that, you're going to get that resource from that action. And then your worker is going to give you a little bonus if it matches. Then you're going to take care of that event by providing those resources. If you're not able to, you're going to get a penalty for that. And it's possible that you can lose your workers and you typically are going to lose workers because this game is very vicious. It's very, very tight in a very good way. Nonetheless, as the game goes on, there'll be a scoring phase where the court laser is going to score you points, the privilege tokens are going to score you points. And at the end of the 12 months, you'll score points for the people that you have 
in your palaces. They're going to score you additional points. Your monks are going to score you points based upon how many floors you have in your palaces. And it's a very tight mathematical formula game where you have to kind of build resources for that event, lose those resources, build up for that event, lose those resources, figure out if those events are over. And if they are, then you don't really need those workers so much. So if something happens, if they get sick or if there's a drought or something like that, and you do lose workers, it's not the end of the world. While this game is a play just with the base set, I think this game moves up to a buy because of its expansions. Now, the expansions didn't come in the regular game, and I think that that's kind of a sad thing because this game really did need these expansions for two reasons. The first is the first expansion, number one, the Great Wall of China, is really needed because this is a very tight game and you're not always going to have the opportunity to get what you want, and players could really lock you out of those spots because if you didn't get to that action, you got to pay three coins. And when a game where that has such tight money, that's going to be a problem. But with the Great Wall of China expansion, you're going to be able to take that action to build a wall section of your choice, and that's going to give you a benefit. So typically not as powerful as activating the typical actions and then activating your person, but by building a wall segment, you can pick one of these different actions that you need to do right there and then. And in addition to that, as you're building the wall up, so you're literally building up the Great Wall of China, which is really thematic and really nice. When the Mongolians attack, what you'll be able to do is if you're at that point, you'll score additional victory points. If the wall's not at that point, then people who didn't build towards that wall as much as the other people will lose victory points. And finally, there's a second expansion here, the super events. This expansion is just kind of a little bonus randomness to the game. You added shit to the last month of the game, and that's going to increase the victory points. It's going to lose you some things. It's going to trigger the effect again. There's a lot of different actions here. So the base game is a solid play based upon Feld's ability to mathematically kind of put you in a place where everything is always razor tight. The expansion with the Great Wall of China is definitely an add. Don't play the game without it. It adds a little more flexibility. It doesn't. It brings the stress down a little bit more. It adds a new mechanic, which is fun. The super event things is just adds a little bit more of a randomness as far as what could be that final event. It doesn't add randomness to the game. It just kind of offers more variety there. And I guess with these two expansions into the base game, the game moves up to a buy, which is shocking because the base game itself is so tight. It's a love or hate thing. But these two expansions really do add a lot. And that's why I think that in the year of a dragon is something you should add to your collection. Man, I got to I gotta get that back out because my first experience with it was not great. But the expansions <laughs> do sound pretty good. They do. They're, it does make the game a little more fluid. And it does give a little more flavor as, as far as that last month meaning a lot more. Usually when you get to that last month, you're kind of burnt out. But seeing something big happen at the end is definitely a bonus. Now, I want to throw in a really quick short review for a really quick short game, and that's called Pretending to Grown Up. Now, this is a game by Jason Anarchy, but more importantly, no offense, Jason, the artist here is Megan McKay, who's a kind of a famous web designer. And what's really interesting about this game was it was a recent Kickstarter, and basically the game is a trick-taking game. So Anthony's not going to be so high on it, but what's attractive and interesting about this game is the 
Unipegasaurus. No, just kidding. That's actually a part of the game, but it's not the most interesting game. It's kind of like a flux mechanic, which kind of throws the game up in the air a little bit. But what's really interesting about the game is all about adulthood and how we don't want to grow up and how there's interesting and different things that you can do in life. Like you can be a armchair activist or you can have a do nothing degree or you can go soul searching or you can go vegan or you can be deceived by a dating profile. So this game is all about the flavor, all about the theme and beyond all of the wonderful webcomic artistry here. It does have a lot of other webcomics artists kind of contributing to the game. So you have John Kovlik from uh, Dork Tower and from Munchkin. He has some cards in here. You have some cards from Cyanide and Happiness. So basically, if there is a webcomic that you like, I guarantee you pretty much is going to be a card in here related to that. But beyond the theme, which is kind of fun, it's a basic, basic, basic really, really, really basic kind of trick-taking game. You play a card, you say, I think I have the highest time, the highest money, or the highest ability here. And then you see if anyone wants to challenge you with that. If you win, you take the cards. If no one goes against you, you take your card. And it's basically whoever has the most kind of like super achieving life without doing anything kind of thing. So this game is worth the play for the kind of interesting, you know, I don't want to grow up kind of adult theme and the artwork. So I would say play it once, enjoy the artwork, laugh at the jokes, just kind of an enjoyable one shot kind of game. All right. So that's everything for at the table. Now on to our feature review. If you like five tribes, try these other games. So let's talk about five tribes. We mentioned at the early start of the episode, five tribes is a really fun and interesting game from days of wonder. This is from Bruno Cathala. And we all know his games. We all love his games. And what's really interesting and dynamic about Five Tribes and what we want to talk about this week is that this game really utilizes a Moncala mechanic. Now, if you're not totally familiar with Moncalas, this is a mechanic in which it's been around for, I would say, so long. I mean, it's over a thousand years old. It's originated in Africa, played in the Middle East and in the Caribbean and South America, and there's a lot of different variations of this game. Now, basically, the board is going to be set up as far as a number of different holes or pits, and what you're going to do is pick up your pieces. As you go along the way, you're going to drop off one of your pieces in each of the spots. Wherever the last piece ends is going to activate the spot. This is true about Amankala, and it's also true about Five Tribes. Now, Five Tribes obviously has so much more to the game, so many different kind of card interactions and location interactions. So it's not a traditional Moncala game, but it does use that Moncala mechanic. So when a player goes, they are really changing the face of the board by adding new meeples throughout that area. So you do have to wait for your turn to see how that board is changed up, but you want to utilize those meeples perfectly because depending on the meeple you drop in that area and the color of that meeple, it's going to activate a different special ability. So on this episode, we want to talk about if you do like five tribes, like Anthony and I do, there are games that are similar to it using the Mancala mechanic, but they vary as far as weight is concerned and as far as theme is concerned. So Anthony, why don't you take us through the lighter side of the Mancala mechanic? with three games. Yeah, so there are not a ton of games that do this, but there are a, 
a handful that do it in a, a little bit lighter way. Not that Five Tribes is the heaviest game in the world, but it's it's in the middle there and it can get a little brain burning. Probably the best known and the one that people most frequently play is Istanbul. So in Istanbul, you are a single merchant with four assistants and then there are 16 different locations and you are basically moving around and dropping off assistants who will then take actions in these different places. And you can only do that until you have assistants to left to drop off and then you must go pick them up. So you have to carefully plan where you're going and how the different angles and the, the layout of the board and try not to run out of assistance, but at the same time get access to the right locations to do the things you want to do. So on your turn, you move multiple steps through the bazaar, you leave an assistant, you or you collect an assistant, and then you perform the action that's there. And that's basically it with the goal of getting five rubies in your wheelbarrow by the end of the game and therefore winning the game. So it's quick, it's fairly simple, it doesn't have nearly as many decisions to make as Five Tribes, people don't get quite as stuck as in Five Tribes, and with both the expansions, there's a lot of variability here. The other uh, light game I wanted to talk about is one that you don't really hear too much about, it's a little bit older, and that's another Brunicathala game, so it's kind of one of the precursors to Five Tribes, and it's got artwork by Vincent Dutrois, so it's, it's one of those games that you feel like you should have heard about more, at least this is what I felt when I saw it, is Longhorn. So in Longhorn, you are playing um, outlaws. So the outlaws are going around and they are picking up cattle from different locations. And you will then basically go around and steal these different cattle based on the color that you're taking. And then take movements on, on the player board based on the number of cattle that you picked up. And then the game ends when somebody takes the sheriff token and then they lose because they had no choice to take it. Uh, if somebody takes all nine cattle of one color, then they win immediately. Or if no legal move can be made and someone gets stuck. So the game is not quite as smooth or fluid as uh, Five Tribes, um, as you'd expect, because this, this is the game that kind of came before that with a similar mechanic. But it does have an interesting different theme. Uh, the board's a bit smaller. There's only nine tiles out instead of the however, like 25 or whatever it is in uh, um, Five Tribes. And... It is it's very interesting take on kind of a similar idea and a more streamed down, a little bit simpler approach. All right. So moving on to the the games that are kind of the same, roughly the same weight. So I have one here and then Chris has the other one before we move into the heavy games. The first one I want to talk about is Scoville. Now, Scoville, it's it's not really a Mancala, but it, none of these are perfect Mancala, but it has a similar idea in that you are moving your farmers around and you are planting and then harvesting uh, different peppers from the board. But based on the number of movements you move, it will determine how many peppers you can pick up. Um, and it's kind of, there's an auction mechanic. So that's, you know, we're not talking about auction mechanics today. We're talking about Moncala, but that is something similar to um, what Five Tribes has to offer. And you're basically trying to fulfill different orders that come through from the different peppers you're picking up off the board. And so it is similar to Five Tribes in that as the board starts to fill out and as more peppers reach the board and as you try to figure out how to combine those peppers and plant more powerful or get more powerful ones that you can fulfill more powerful and more valuable um, orders for, it, your brain starts to hurt a little bit. So it's the kind of game that is very, very simple to describe in an execution, but it takes a little bit more. It gets more complicated as you go through it. And I like it quite a bit. It's very unique. It's one of those games that people don't really think about. 
but once you get it out, it really does, you know, make its mark. So, and that's one that I would consider kind of on par with Five Tribes. Well, another game that's on par with Five Tribes is Gold West. Now, this is a game that does not get enough table attention to it, but it's a really outstanding game. And basically what you're doing is you're out west and you're mining gold, copper, and silver. And you're using a number of different variety of techniques in order to get these metals into your tableau in order to refine them. Now, as you're building your camp, you're opening up new areas. It's giving you new resources. And now here's where the Moncala mechanic really takes hold. So as you're building these camps, as you're picking up these resources, when you gain these new resources, you place them on a supply track. Now, this Moncala-style track will allow you to manage your resources. So wherever you place them on the track, you'll score victory points. The further back in the track that you place them, the longer they'll take to refine, but the more victory points you'll score. So if you need something right away in order to build, then you want to place it up front, but you're not going to score a lot of a lot of points there. But if you have time, you could put it towards the back. So it bounces around, and it's an excellent Moncala mechanic for an excellent game. Now, on the heavier side, we want to talk about Yokohama, which is, I would say, a little bit on the heavier side in comparison to Istanbul. Now, basically, what you're doing here is you're taking your workers and your president, and you're moving them around this kind of complex setup board here in order to score resources in these different areas, place down businesses in those areas in order to score additional resources and victory points. And once again, where you place your workers matters because it's going to build you a little path and where you drop your president is where you're going to activate that area. So the game kind of speeds up along the way and allows you to have a little bit of a blocking area as far as where you place your president. It scores victory points based upon each individual area and especially in these big kind of board areas where you're going to score mega victory points. But once again, you got to build up along the way and placing your workers gives you a path to victory. So Yokohama is an excellent way for that. Now on the heaviest side of here, we're going back to Feld one more time and we're looking at Trajan. Now this is kind of taking us back to ancient Rome using a Mancala to activate different resource areas, kind of like a mini game here you are building influence in rome so as you drop these little cylinders you activate not just the area but if you do it just right just like in a mancala mechanic and you drop the cylinder in the right spot at the right time and if there's nothing else there you'll pick up this token that's going to score you additional points and give you additional abilities so as you're playing these different mini games to kind of do your point salad to score the maximum number of influence as possible, the Mancala is constantly coming into play. So I would say that Trajan, if you're looking for a heavy, heavy game as far as using the Mancala mechanic, you probably couldn't do any better. So if you like Five Tribes, you should check out these six different games that use the Mancala mechanic effectively and beautifully in a number of different ways from the light side to the heavy side. All right, so that's everything from this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll expertly use our Moncala skills to drop gamers all over the place, but make sure that we leave you a seat at the table. <laughs> what kind of gamer has which power? <laughs>